Welcome back to the Integrateness Podcast. It will be the most depressing episode you've ever listened to. Or hopeful. Or hopeful. But most people don't want to talk about what we're talking about, which is probably why it took us this long to talk about it. But it needs to be talked about. What are we talking about? I don't know. It could be the last episode people ever hear of us. Because both of us may not be here next week. And neither could you. Oh. Death. Death. Preparing for death. Being ready for death. Not being afraid of death, which is a tough thing to not be afraid of. And not leaving a shitstorm after death. For everyone else to clean up because you were (laughs) not prepared for death. (laughs) But there are two things guaranteed in this lifetime. Birth and death. Not even birth, actually. I can't guarantee that. No, there is death. Death might be the only thing guaranteed. And taxes so far. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Jason, by the way. I'm Jolene. I'm sure by now you all figured it out. But we say that for like... Anyone new who just happens to stumble across each individual episode? Yes. Even though it says, you know, into greatness with Jason and Jolene. Yeah. He's Jason. Yeah. And and you're Jolene. Yes. (laughs) And this week is, we are talking obviously death. We've only said it about 15 times so far in the first like minute and a half of this episode. But it is something which is unique to Western culture in that people in North America don't like to even contemplate the fact that they're going to die. Whereas in other parts of the world, they fully embrace it. It, it. It's used as an invigorating thing to get the most out of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, like we don't even call them funerals anymore. They're like celebrations of life. Mm-hmm. It's like we don't even want that acknowledgement that, yeah, it's, it's, it is so fucked up. Yeah. Our <laughs> like, lack of attention to death actually disrespects that part of our life journey here a lot so jason and i for those of you who don't know we uh we tango with death we walk hand in hand with death most of my life has been grief and death uh stricken uh so i have befriended death and grief through the majority of my life um and you know being a grief and trauma counselor as well see it regularly i am not afraid to talk about it uh jason you have experienced uh death personally grief personally but also you chase those on the other side yes and before chasing those on the other side i was a crime reporter and guess what happens a lot in crime people die all the time so i spoke with you know like the families of victims you know not even just murders but like accidents um siblings you know i've been at accident and crime scenes where i've seen dead bodies sometimes they were children you know and i also had the unfortunate time once of watching a woman burn to death in her car like i got to the scene while that was still happening so yeah i'm really familiar with it and that's probably what's prompted me to now chase things on the other side yeah as well so yeah very much same thing death is a huge been a huge part of my life yeah and death and grief activate i noticed this and any negative experience in life that is kind of like shakes you enough and dismantles your life enough will activate a spiritual process. And I'm not talking religion, guys. I'm not talking about those things, but it's literally those existential questions of like, why am I here? What is my purpose? And what the fuck do I want to do at this time? And that's actually what my entire workshop talks about. My I am the one workshop. At the end, we write our eulogies. And that is a messed up process for people. But the highlight of that is like, where are your blocks? And where do you already stop yourself from going in life based on the fact that you can't even see yourself there? And it's not really the block of death, but it is, you know, when you're not here, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want, what kind of stamp, what kind of legacy do you want to leave on the people and places that you've been to in this lifetime, right? And until we actually get really freaking clear on that, 
what are we doing here? <laughs> and a lot of people think that their legacy means that they are like an uh, influencer on Instagram or they're a multimillionaire or they need to become like the next Dwayne Johnson. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. But all of that, that monetary posthumous fame fades when you're dead. For one, you don't take the wealth with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like the most famous people are quite often soon forgotten. Like after a generation, unless it's like, I don't even know, right? Like it's like someone like Marcus Aurelius or Abraham Lincoln. Martin Luther King Martin Jr. Luther King. My son was just talking about him on his day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like MLK. But those are rare. Yeah. And let's face it, most of us aren't going to be remembered much past a generation after we're gone. So that means your life then needs to take on more personal meaning. Yeah. And I will say, I'm going to add to that when we're looking at wealth and life purpose, I have found personally, and I think you too, Jason, and I see this lots around me when we are aligned with our purpose, when we find the reasons we are here and what our gifts are and what we are striving towards to be the most of ourselves in this lifetime, right? To achieve our greatness, guys. Um, Wealth follows. You will notice an abundance of wealth. And this is wealth in the form of love and support and opportunities and beauty and joy. Like wealth is not just financial, but it very much can be and often is when we are aligned. When we drive a career based on purpose and intention and acts of service, rather than I'm just looking to make this paycheck, you'll get the paycheck and you'll get the joy. A lot more Um, out of life. And I feel that all the time, right? I know that I'm rewarded with consistent pay through the work I do because I'm driven not just for the money and the paycheck, I'm driven for the purpose, right? So yes, those who, and those are the ones who are remembered, the ones who are soul driven and and their wealth is acquired from them fulfilling their purpose. That's right. So they reach a period of self-actualization. Yeah. Where they're no longer driven by external means, but internal means. Yeah. That is what my entire workshop is. That's it is. becoming my life to in a nutshell. <laughs> to live an intrinsically inspired life. Yeah. 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 For you and you only, but everybody else benefits so richly from it. So richly. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Everyone gets the best version of you and what you produce, right? Um, Jason, before we started this, you flipped a book at me. You want to talk about that? Oh, yeah. It was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, Be Useful. Yeah. Um, and everybody knows. he's Arnold Schwarzenegger's being one of those people that in about 400 years, they're still going to probably remember who, who he was, right? Because he was like a world champion bodybuilder. He was like a movie star. He was the governator. Yeah. Um, Do you, and, hold on a sec. Do you know why they're going to remember who he is why? 400 years from now? Why? Because I'd be back. Okay. <laughs> I knew it as soon as you had that look in your eye. And I was like, oh, here we go. Okay, sorry, guys. But he even mentions that in the book. Like oh, he okay. he's always talks about like that's it's what he's known for saying, but that's his philosophy. Is no matter back. what happens to him, I'll be back. I love it. Yeah. And he sort of talks about it at the beginning. Like he doesn't go into hardcore detail, but he does spend quite a bit of time talking about how in 2011, when he sort of left political office, how he his life completely hit rock bottom and how he was completely responsible for it. Right. Like everything that he had worked so hard for, like, you know, his movie career, his political career, his bodybuilding career, his marriage of like 20 some odd years all fell apart and he was a hundred percent responsible for it. And now he had to basically start over. And so the book is like these seven tips on how you can be the most useful in life. They are what got him to where he was at his peak, and it's what helped bring him back. And he's kind of reinvented himself now. Like he's he's doing, you know, he does a Netflix show again, and 
and all that, but he's reinvented himself as basically like a self-help person. And he started doing that because he looked at the world and the people and how just miserable so many people seem to be and how they can't sort of get the most out of their life. And so in, uh, instead of posting, you know, yeah, here's my new movie, you know, he started <laughs> posting positive shit on, in, on Instagram and on, on Twitter and all that. And it just, it sort of reinvigorated him. I love that. But, but that, and that sort of, there is a purpose there. You yeah. know, and he's not a young man. He, this all happened when he was in his 60s, right? So it shows even how in your 60s you can kind of repurpose yourself. And look at what he's getting out of. Like he just now seems to be enjoying life even more than he ever has before. I love that. And that was his moment of self-actualization. Yeah. His, you know, awakening period essentially, yeah. right? And that happened in his like late late 50s, early 60s. Wow. That's fascinating. I might have to follow the Terminator here. Yeah, at Schwarzenegger. Yeah. yeah and, and I follow him and it's very interesting stuff. Cool. And, and one thing that he did that was neat to promote the book because it was one of the gym, like the heavy metal gyms in like somewhere in California. And they... They called it the Arnold AI, and it was this big box that you could kind of go up to, and you could um, ask it questions, and it would give answers. But what nobody knew is that Arnold was inside the box. No! <laughs> he was really in there, really answering people's questions. We were like, I can't believe how good this is. It, like, they li- it listened, and it gave me an answer that I needed. But he was inside the box. I love that. Yeah, he took the time. I mean, sure, it's to promote his book and everything, yeah. but he took the time to do that. That's so cool. And I think that, you know, so many of us offer those gifts to other people, right? And I love, like, I I noticed, and he was probably very intuitively led in those answers. Mm -hmm. And, like, when we are really coming from a place of alignment, the things we say and the the interactions we have with people are so meaningful. And they are bang on accurate in terms of what we need and what the other people need. I see this in my job all the time, right? People are like, how did you know? Oh my God, that's exactly. And I'm like, when I'm in alignment and I'm in the flow of things, I am. it's crystal clear for me. And I often am just like that conduit, right? That, that messenger in a sense. But I think there are so many people in our lives who are in those roles, right? Mm-hmm. The person at the grocery store who does just the right thing with just the right person, you yep. know? All of those opportunities, remembering that like, you know, you might be looking up to a whole bunch of other people. I, I I just had this conversation with a client the other day and she saw herself as like the person who was always in like her friend's shadow in high school and stuff. And she wants to go to this big thing. And she was like, I'm just kind of scared to invite people because I just, they, they might think I'm a weirdo. I'm like, I actually think you're going to be the person who's so much fun that people who are kind of more tight asses that really need that kind of experience you're going to invite them with you and they're going to have an amazing time because of how contagious your passion for it is. Mm-hmm. And she was like, really? Like, I don't see myself as a leader. And I'm like, you just got promoted to team leader in your job. <laughs> so you're a leader. <laughs> it was so funny. She did not see herself that way. Right. But like, we forget that, you know, we might be being, this goes back to our mentorship episode. We might be being mentored by the people we're always looking forward to, but don't forget who you're mentoring. Don't forget who's looking at you. Yeah. Right? There's a there's a, a big one as a poem called The Little Fellow Follows oh, Me. Yeah. And that one just always gets me because like your kid we forget that our kids are watching everything we do. Everything. Everything. And they're emanating that and how you act and treat other people and talk to yourself and talk to your spouse impacts them. And they learn that from you. That's why there's generational abuse. Yes. And trauma. Yep. Um so that's just one thing I think to keep in mind and, and bringing it back to the subject of death. There is a stoic concept called memento mori. I have a coin that has memento mori on it. It's in his pocket, guys. He's I pulling keep it, it out. In my pocket. <gasps> no way. 
I got to put on my reading glasses to okay. read it to everybody. So Memento Mori on the one side, and it's like, you know, this hourglass and the skull. Very dark. Crazy. So it's a reminder. You could leave life right now. So The person you... that's going to find that in your pocket when you die is going to be so tripped out. Right? <laughs> They're going to be like, how did he know? How did he know? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm sorry. But, but it, Death is also funny, guys. You got, you got to have a sense of humor with it. Um, but the fact that you could lead, leave life like right now yeah. should govern how you live your life. Mm. And so instead of being scared of that, the Stoics use that philosophy to energize themselves. It was like, how many people do you know, Jolene, that are like, oh, you know, one day, uh, five years from now, I'm going to write a book. Or one day, I'm, I'm, we're going to go to Disneyland. Or, yeah, I'm going to start that project tomorrow. Mm -hmm. right but they don't make it mm -hmm. because by the end of the there's no guarantee when we woke up this morning that either you or i are going to be here tonight so how do you spend that day how do you spend your time how do you treat the people around you and if you do that if you keep that in your mind you're going to approach life really differently your mental attitude is going to be really different you whether you're a positive or negative person is going to change really quick and you're not going to put off those things that you should probably be doing right now it's that so you true. want to do. It's so true. I have some people who have, you know, faced death in different ways, um, different health diagnoses and things like that. And that kind of, you know, can motivate them, but it can also become obsessive for them too. And oh, that's huge. actually what I help them work through. And we do some yep. EMDR around that. And it becomes a fear of death because it's so tangible and real now yeah. right it's not just a concept right they've already they've cheated it a couple times essentially well i know i know i have even yeah. in my own life right yeah i shouldn't be here right now because yeah. this happened i had a bad car accident i shouldn't yeah. they said my people i know in the fire department like you shouldn't have walked away from that yeah and i look at people and i tell them i'm because they're like why am i still here and i'm like because you are not done your mission sir That's right. like guess what yeah. <laughs> you don't get to hit that flag on super mario world until you go back and get all the things exactly yeah you got stuff to do right yeah yeah totally so when we look at different ways that we can prepare for death and be better prepared for death. You know, I mentioned this in a previous episode about how there's actually like cleaners that can come in and help people organize their things so that, you know, you're not leaving your home and your belongings and your, your personal affairs in a certain state for family members and things like that. Recognizing that the grief is going to be heavy for them and mm -hmm. the less decisions they need to make, the better off they will be, but also the dynamic and the harmony between the leftover uh, family members. So often siblings will argue about items and the most pettiest of things, the estate right? and all the things because grief is impacting people so differently. Right. And often like, especially when we're going through sort of the natural order of life where it's an elderly parent, the children are, you know, middle age, have children of their own. They're still running their old household, but also grieving and organizing the death arrangements for the, the parents and still like trying to stifle their grief because they're raising these kids and not wanting to down put it on mm -hmm. them. But also the grief doesn't often impact the grandkids the same way it does the parents. No. So there's this like chosen expression of grief during those times, right? And grief can kind of come around months after, like real grief can come around months, often. years down the road. Yeah. And often it does because it's those logistics <laughs> that keep us anchored into the present when it comes to like, oh, this needs to be done. That needs to be cleared out. That needs to be sold. The name needs to be changed to this, right? Yeah. Those are things that kind of keep us out of our emotional experience of it and keep us in the logical left brain experience of it. And yeah, once all of that is not demanded of us, 
there's space. Yeah. Space. And then it comes. Yeah. 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 For sure. So those are different ways. Um, you know, even your will, looking at your will, looking at your end of life stuff, you know, um, if you have, if you, like I, you know, if you are a power of attorney for somebody or you know that you're going to be responsible for, you know, whether it's your partner or a sibling or, you know, somebody I, I like I'm power of attorney for an old family friend and, and her son who requires help for the majority of his life. Um, but getting really clear on like, okay, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Right. Like, what are the decisions? What do you want quality of life to look like? Like, what are the plans with this all the way down to like, where's your money kept? What bank is it at? Yeah. Right. Where are keys for certain things? <laughs> but that's a big one. That's it's one crazy. With, with my adopted mom. Like I had power of attorney and I was also the executor for the will, yeah. but she didn't, she couldn't remember where half the keys for that. I remember spending like almost a year to find the safety deposit box key. To get into the bank to open it. Yeah. Right? And it was just like, that took forever. My dad, adopted father, when he died, he didn't even have a will. And that took years to settle his estate. Yeah, years. things going to probate. There's oh, things like that, right? Ridiculous. He had Absolutely. business ties with his brother. And, you know, it's just like all this stuff that needed sorting out. Yeah. And even when people are well prepared, you know, I think about some circumstances where, um, you know, uh, in one situation... Uh, the husband and wife uh, had children of their own, right, from different different spouses or whatever. So they had been together for years. Um, there was a vacation property they had and also like a home in a regular city. And the vacation property, they only wanted to go to the one person, like the, the mother's son, mm -hmm. right? And then um, the, 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 the husband had a couple of daughters or a couple of kids or something. And he was like, I'm going to pay you guys out now while I'm still alive. Yeah. Because they knew those daughters were going to give his wife a hard time or, or something. Some dynamic would come. They were different with money. There was a different... They just didn't want conflict between the step-siblings and the existing parent mm -hmm. and all of that stuff, right? Because it was kind of, you know, when you think about it, especially if you get together after your kids are growing or things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like... So it was very interesting to see like, oh yeah, oh, isn't that crazy? Here's, here's your inheritance, but I'm still alive. Yeah, but you get it now. <laughs> you get it now, right? Yeah. Because this is what the projected cost of things will be. And I mean, there was definitely health concerns. They knew, you know, yeah, within the next like five to 10 years kind of thing, let's just deal with this now. And you need this now, right? Yeah. That was another piece too. Um, so like there's ways you can prepare that way, like prepare for the disaster and prevent it. Almost like our last week's episode, like preventative stress measures. Yeah. So that was a good way for them just, this is solved. For sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because there's so many things like that where you're like, is it going to change my quality of life while I'm still living now? No. Right. Yeah. And that money is still going to go to my partner. This is only the small amount going to my kids, my adult kids with their own families or whatever. Exactly. Right. There's a service too. I know at the bank that we were dealing with, with my adoptive mom where you can, cause it is very overwhelming suddenly mm. to be, to be the one sorting out the estate where you pay them X amount of dollars and they come in and they take care of all of it for you. Yeah. I like you meet with them regularly and give you give final approval, but they take care of the, the legwork, which yes. is huge. I heard the funeral homes, I think, do that too. They will too. do that too. Some of them do. Like death certificates, CPP, yeah. all which of that huge, stuff. Because huge amount of work. I hate paperwork. Yeah. And Jason. it takes forever. If you're trying to get like CPP sorted out, you're on the phone for a day trying to go through all these different people. I am and prove still... Who you are. I am still waiting on a passport for one of my kids from last June. Right? Like, There's how honestly. government works. There's how government well, works. Well, and fast. some of that was delay on an end on this side. I was not aware of multiple times where <laughs> phone calls weren't returned and stuff. But gotcha. still, that's like 
are you kidding me? You know, sit there for an hour. I think I've done it like six, seven different times. Yeah, it's crazy, it's crazy right? <laughs> it is. So, you know, those are things we don't have capacity for at end of life stuff, right? And, you know, it was your life. You are living it. And you, it's really funny how we end up being like, see ya. Yep. You make the decisions. Yeah, because quite often you never know when that, very rarely do you know when that exact moment yeah. is coming, right? Like my, you know, your father took his life yep. at a young age. My adoptive father died when I was 19. He was 56. He did not plan to die that day. Mm. Um, and then even people who are in like hospice care, when they know they're at the end, there still isn't an exact moment of knowing. Absolutely right. Especially right? when it comes to mementos and certain things that are yeah. like very meaningful. Um, and if you intentionally want them to go to somebody and have no question about it, do it while you are still alive. Yeah. Um, when you don't need yeah, it anymore, when you, know, you don't want it anymore, just give it to somebody. I remember one of the experiences. My dad was definitely the breadwinner in the family. My mom had, you know, a part-time office job and ran our household and, and my sister and I taxied everywhere. But um, I remember one of the hardest things for her was they had, um, they had uh, trusted this investor mm. um, and they thought that they had life insurance on the mortgage that would have paid it off if the breadwinner was gone because for my mom to carry the mortgage as at her income, she couldn't. They thought that there was life insurance on it. There wasn't. Oh. So my mom got slammed with that. And that's when mortgages were, I mean, that was a house they had bought many years ago. It was probably like a $50,000 house, right? Yeah. But high interest rates, whatever. 28% interest they, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think they had remortgaged at one point or something. There wasn't a ton left on it, but it was now financial stress monthly that my mom was not prepared for. And it was this hidden came out of nowhere thing. What happened after that though, is that she then had money from my dad's death. She was fucking terrified to give it to an investor to help her plan her future of course she right because once, right yeah, like, yeah no, because that... they really trusted this person so she has found this woman she is so trusting of and has been amazing and has helped my mom you know support herself monthly with different things like cpp mm -hmm. and what they had invested and things like that right but that was a big piece that's like not only are you abandoned at a time in your life where you were like you weren't even at retirement everyone works their whole life for retirement yeah and then when you die at or slightly after or just before holy shit and then when you're facing that alone yeah like all those things feeling so alone and left with the burden of everything and then like not able to enjoy everything you had planned for i hear this happening so much with people right yeah, yeah like, huge it's like, like that's almost the common story you hear one to two years of retiring yeah they die. Everything they worked for, the family they sacrificed, the hours, the this, the that, just to have the money for retirement. And it was like, we're working to live, <laughs> but then we don't get a chance to live at the end of the work. Yeah. You know? It's... And that's why you and I do what we do. Exactly. Because we've watched that happen. Like my we... dad had so many plans for like, retirement that just never happened. I know. Right? So that's why I, once yeah. I had the opportunity, I, I took that plunge. It's a huge part for me, right? Like I can have all these grand ideas of retirement, but I'm like, I am living my life now based on what I have. And I love the way I can be flexible for what my kids need. I can be there for them. Mm -hmm. I like all of the things. And I don't know what that's going to look like years from now. No. Right? Like... Um, but I do, you know, I, I forward plan enough. Um, but I'm also very aware of like, my dad was 48 when he died, yeah. right? Like how old was your dad? 56. 56. Like that's so fucking young yeah. these days, right? Yeah. You're just a few years I'm away from 51. that. We talked so, about, yeah, we right? talked about that, right? Yeah. Like, and, and I, yeah, I had that moment where I was like, I'm going to be 42 this month. And actually I just turned <laughs> when you're listening to this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like literally six years away from where my dad was like, I just can't believe that. 
I know, it's crazy. Wild. Yeah, and my son would probably be the age that I was, right? Yeah, like, those moments are the ones that make me pause, man. right? Oh, like, for it really sure. just gets you. So, what are all y'all now thinking about? Yeah, what do you got to get in order? Your yeah. your your dildo drawer, right? <laughs> your dirty underwear you don't want people to see? Do you have any, like, old letters and diaries you don't want people to know of? You have to find one person that you can go and delegate and to. And trust like, that... The- you Break gotta in take the these back books take, and you got to take them out of the take house. Take that back window and run, <laughs> right? right? Burn it. Yeah. But but honestly, like what can you tidy up? Like what mess of yours? Cuz we do. We got messes everywhere. We're like, "Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that." Yeah, yeah, we'll get to yeah. that, right? How can we simplify that for ourselves confidently leaving this lifetime knowing we've like mostly tidied things up, like feeling good about as best ourselves? You could at this yeah, time, like when right? you leave a job, right? You don't just like throw your friggin' files up down and like run. Like you know? some people do. <laughs> 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 kick, kick Santa, Santa across the office. <laughs> <laughs> right? Most of us don't. We leave and we hand it over to somebody respectfully, right? But yeah, so it's like that. And usually if we love the people in our lives, that's kind of what we will do is we will hand it over nicely, right? Yeah, as best we can (laughs) at the time. We won't go out fingering being like, fuck all y'all. Don't worry, Shaniqua got your ass. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be fine. Yeah. So there you go. We brought some levity to a dark topic, but it's one that I think needs to be discussed way more often. Yeah, why are we not getting ready for our final show? Yeah, we're all born to die, right? right? Like it's yeah. it's it's fucked up, but that's the truth of it. Yeah, I hope I have good hair when I die. Yeah, I do too, actually. <laughs> I hope my hair is done. Somebody, somebody, my children, if you ever watch this, listen to this, just make sure my hair is done. Right. Okay? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> So until next week, when we come back with probably not quite a dark topic, I'm Jason. I'm Jolene. Cracking her neck. Sorry, guys. We'll talk to you all next week.